Hey folks, it's Blamo. I'm Jeremy Kirkland. How are we all doing? We hanging in there? Life got you down? Look, I, I had an amazing weekend. Did a bunch of fall stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Fall stuff being like uh, taking the fam to get donuts and buy overpriced pumpkins. By the way, I feel like I'm the only parent who has a kid that wants white pumpkins. She, I mean, basically, uh, we, we literally had like 10,000 pumpkins to choose from, and she wants the ones that are easier to draw on. I don't know. We, we told her you can paint pumpkins instead of cutting them. Makes them last longer. But, uh, you know, I guess respect. She, uh, she wants the white pumpkins. I mean, whatever, bud. But it's always funny going to these places because you have this dichotomy of people who are obviously, you know, all over the place. You got some that are really mad they're there and they're upset about the wine and ugh, ugh, there's just people and or someone upset about the weather, just mad at everything. And you got these other parents screaming at their kids while they're trying to take a photo op of, uh, you know, like yelling at like, just stay still. Come on, like, Margaret, just don't move. And it's, uh, <laughs> it's a great time. You got the full buffet of families. Love it. Anyone else doing fall stuff? Look, I'll just be honest. I just want to wear my coats. I want to eat my cider donut and wear all my outerwear. That's it. I'm a simple guy. I'm a simple guy. Paul Feig is here this week for the three-peat. Oh, man, I got to say, big shout out to him. Paul is always, he's just always incredibly nice, and he'll talk about anything. It was great as we kind of just went into this amazing discussion just on how to tell stories and and what rules to follow, and he practically did a master class of what to do. But uh, yeah, we talked about clothes, but ended up making our way to food, and homie just let it fly. Excited for you all to hear it. We also talked getting fits off while making the school for good and evil, the best eats in London, his upcoming book, Cocktail Time, Life in the Gin World, and Defending Stanley Tucci's Negroni. You heard it here first. His new film, School for Good and Evil, premieres this month, October 19th on Netflix. Let's go, folks. How have you been? I've been good. I've just been making a movie for the last two and a half years, the same movie, um, but very fun. I mean, I'm very, really happy with it. We're almost finished, literally almost finished. Um, this is School for Good and Evil? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, honestly, it's been almost three years since I found the script, um, but we started prep two and a half years ago, and uh, here we are. <laughs> and it's done. it's like a juggernaut of a film. Is this is this one of your biggest films ever in terms of like production and, yeah. and length? And- yeah, I would say. I mean, you know, Ghostbusters was was big too, oh, but yeah. I think this this is bigger than that one because that was also like a you know working in the real world versus this is we've created an entire world, you know, from the ground up. So, which I've always wanted to do. So that's been really exciting, you know, just to go, okay, we're going to just design everything, like build it from, from the bottom up, you know, it's based on a book, but the book didn't yeah, give yeah. a lot of guidance as far as how it's going to look and all that. And the stuff they did have, <laughs> we, we changed. Um, <laughs> just cause I was trying, you know, I wanted to make sure we weren't going to feel like Harry Potter, you know, cause we're playing right. in that world. Um, but it was really fun to try to avoid that. So well, I'm happy. I'm has, happy. has that been a, a different muscle for you to flex? Because I mean, you've obviously done a lot of real world films and, and, but like, I feel like, you know, for when, when, when someone mentions Paul Feig, it's like bridesmaids yeah. or, you know, it's like really crazy, like sharp comedy. Mm-hmm. And, and this doesn't seem like it's exactly that, obviously just based on my knowledge. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, if you, everything I do, even when it seems like it's weird, you kind of go, Oh, okay. Once you see it, you're like, all right, that makes sense. Like, you know, this is basically, you know, 
female friendship story about these two young women who right. are, you know, best friends and they get put in this really crazy situation, which is not too far off from freaks and geeks being stuck in a high school, you know, and then there's bullies and <laughs> crazy stuff happens, which, you know, and there's, you know, there's definitely comedy in it. I, I always want to make sure everything I do is kind of fun in that way. But, you know, it's just like when I did Simple Favor and Spy and all those things, right, right. you're in a genre and you don't want to fuck with the genre. You know, you just want right. to have fun with the genre, but you don't want to make fun of the genre. You know what I mean? So treat the genre first and foremost with the most respect and play by its rules, but then have fun bending the rules and playing with... um not how seriously people take it, but how the characters take it, but just what fun they can have within a world that is normally treated very seriously by its characters. You know, like you're not oh. laughing a lot during Game of Thrones, you know, and you're not, no. and you're not even <laughs> laughing that much during Harry Potter. It's fun, you know, but you're not like, you know, there's not a lot of hard laughs in that. And, you know, we, you know, we try to get as many as we can in without being, you know, Making fun of, for lack of a better term, right? No, no, that 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 makes perfect sense. Yeah, I I think it's that's always like a a different, you know, an interesting like act to try to do is because you're you're world building and you're also trying to remind people that oh we're still in a real world and that we're going to kind of lean on humor to be okay with the reality of that yeah. world. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it is. It's you know, it's the way I face everything in my career, which is the circumstances can be insane. But it has to be real people in those circumstances so that you're not just going like, well, why are they acting like that? Or they're not acting in a way I can relate to, which, you know, some people do great. Some of this fantasy stuff, you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> game again, going back to Game of Thrones or any of these kind of things, they're not acting like we would act, <laughs> you know, in general. Right. But we're kind of going, oh, my God, that's so cool because they're acting the way you would in that world, you know. And, and so a world seems to bring its own rules where we just go, oh, I guess that's how people act. You know, it's like when you listen go to a Shakespeare play, you just go, oh, that's how they talk back then, you know, whether it was true or not, you know, that's your only take on it. But so that's what's interesting about creating a world that is timeless, because that's what this one is. I mean, you know, for all intents yeah. and purposes, it kind of looks like it takes place in medieval times, but it's not really, because then we use, you know, colloquialisms and, you know, they're not talking thee and thy and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, but then, then you're kind of in the world of like, well, we don't want to be so kind of, hey, we're, you know, they're making modern references back then, you know, so it's just kind of yeah. more all has to be people talking like people, you know, and not tied to any specific era anywhere. No. Yeah, I mean, that's like storytelling masterclass. Like has, I mean, you've been, you've been in the industry for a while making, yeah. you know, tons of very successful stuff. Like, has there been something that was like a turning point for you within that where you're like, oh, I need to look at characters this way. I mean, I will say it's, it's within, it's within Freaks and Geeks, but yeah. like you've always had a, a very, this, this like empathetic relationship between your characters and your viewers. Yeah, well, it's, it's you, you process it in, in the process, if you will. Um, You know, when I did the movie, I David, one of my least successful movies of all time, uh, one of the, the least successful movies of all time, not even just mine. Um, it, you know, that was it, it was it was source material. It's right after Freaks and Geeks. It was about, you know, it's a famous book here in, in Europe or it was for a while that kids read in school about a young boy who grows up in a communist labor camp and escapes to find his mother. And, you know, so, you know, back after World War Two. So, you know, it's not exactly relatable. And yet to me, I was like, no, this is this is Freaks and Geeks. It's just, you know, what's the difference between a horrible communist labor camp and being stuck in high school. Really? You know, 
that's actually far as I'm yeah. concerned in my experiences <laughs> it's not that far off so um you yeah. know but then it was kind of like well it's a period thing so I should do this and that but it all came back around to no but it's, it's got to be funny and you know it's got to have funny moments you know but that one was probably my most dramatic of all my movies even though I tried to inject mm. comedy into it but no there's certain moments like when I was doing spy you know again I wanted to be very true to the spy genre because I love the spy genre and I didn't want it to be a spoof um, which sometimes people call it a spoof and it just <laughs> enrages me how dare you because um, I think it's a good spy <laughs> you know it's got a good spy story um, it is yeah no it's fun but but you know like we were shooting one scene and um you know, where Rose Burns character has, as Melissa's character tied up and, you know, she finds, you know, Bradley finds alive and all that stuff. And it was just starting to become wacky because we were starting to play with jokes that were a little more kind of out there. And I, and immediately the, the, you know, by no fault of anybody's except my own, I went like, Oh God, this is really taking a turn. Not good because now it's just becoming silly, you know, and there's oh. no danger. And that, you know, the only way these things work and they're fun is if there is danger, if the fear of death, hangs over that genre even if people the characters are extreme and they're crazy if you if you go like oh well they're just silly they're not going to do anything then it all falls apart so those are those kind of moments you go like okay what no let's get back on track we can still do these jokes that are insults insulting each other but it can't the attitude can't become wacky the attitude still has to be gravitas major gravitas oh my god yeah because you know i i, I don't know why but i've been rewatching all of the the zaz films mm. like naked gun yeah. and hot shots 1 and 2 and there is a silliness in there yeah. that like obviously which like, I think it's fun. some of the best comedy so yeah it's really good but but yeah there's there's no um you're not really concerned well, the, well they're doing straight up satire parody you know and that's yeah, I love yeah, it. I yeah, mean yeah. Airplane is one of my favorite movies of all time I mean I that movie still to this day just destroys me but they are going and saying we are literally going to make fun of something. the LL <laughs> Airplane has a giant beard <laughs> so you kind of know where you're <laughs> at you know <laughs> And that's fine because it's all about set. You have to set the ground rules. You know, in any movie, you set the ground rules in the first five minutes and the ground rules can be insane. But as long as you go like this movie's going to be insane and you stick with it, it's great. You know, one of my favorite movies of all time is uh, Moulin Rouge. And I remember when that movie oh, first yeah. came out, a lot of people were like, I left after the first five minutes. It was so crazy. I was like, oh, yeah, it's it kind of crazy. But he, Baz, sets the tone. He says, like, there's going to be crazy sound effects in this. There's going to be weird things happening. But if you stick with it and get into this, you're going to go into this world that is this, this you know, over-the-top world that is filled with over-the-top emotion. And it's one of the most emotional movies I've ever seen. And once you stick with it, you just go, okay, you know, it's, this is going way back. Remember the, the, uh, the, oh, was the, the Wilson, you know, not Owen Wilson, but his brother um, made that movie. The brothers, um, it was about an Irish the brothers. Grimm? No, no, it was a low no, budget but... movie called the, it was like about a pair of Irish brothers. And it was, you know, it was one of the very first kind of indies to really take off. Um, and, uh, you know, he shot on 16 millimeter. It was really looked very low budget. So, you know, a lot of people are, oh, it looks so terrible. I can't even watch it. But you, once you get into it, five minutes in, you just, that becomes the norm. You're like, okay, this is just how this movie looks. But, you know, so it's, it's literally <laughs> long and the short of this. All people care about is a good story. If you treat it right and you treat it real and you say, this is what the movie is right up front and you stick with it and you don't change the rules halfway through, then you can get away with anything. If yeah. it's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and I think that's the thing where it's like, even, even, you know all the movies that you've made there's a there's a through line though where i feel like you you have a deeper connection with the characters that you've created mm -hmm. 
you know, versus some of the other things. Like that's even in things where it's like, I can't relate to say like bridesmaids, for example, I can't relate to uh, the female protagonist in a lot of ways, but I can because of all these other human emotions that she's experiencing. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You know, know, the characters are all the man, you know, you have to have the characters first and then you put them into the story that is appropriate for those characters. And what happens with a lot of movies is the story comes first and then characters are added into the story. Um, and sometimes it can work great, but a lot of times that's why you feel this weird disconnect or, you know, it's kind of it's all this plots going. And then now let's stop for this character moment or this scene where two people talk and now let's get out of that. And then we do the more action driving things forward versus what the characters are doing is informing the plot and affecting the plot by their decision making and their emotions and all that. So I'm always trying to build everything from the character first. You know, even a spy, which I was like, I want to make a spy movie and it's going to be about, you know, trying to sell this small nuclear bomb but then immediately went okay but who is my main character who's my james bond my female james bond and what are her issues that are going to make me want to a relate with her b follow her and and see you know just really have empathy for her and kind of live through her and, and you know so it, that once i had that and i was like okay now the rest is just let's just have fun with with the tropes of a, of a spy yeah movie. spy is like easily one of my top three films oh ever. my god like you. it's we, we watch it yeah i mean i've told you this another pause but like we watch it at least every year a couple times a year like it's it just like becomes something that we'll just like put on because even after like i know exactly what's going to happen i know exactly what you know we've watched it we watched the uncut version i mean it's it's yeah it's a phenomenal oh, film thanks. uh which is supposedly happening again <laughs> no, that's, that's that's like it's so funny like stuff pops up on imdb and people are like oh my god and it's like it's news to me <laughs> um i would love to make another one sure i mean it's you know i have i kind of know what the second one would be uh it's pretty funny um funny setup <clears throat> If I say so myself, uh, but yeah, I mean, so far there hasn't been much interest in that. Um, there was at the time, but then they kind of fell away and, and, um, you know, right. I don't know, that stuff's all like kind of riding a wave and it feels like now either you wait 35 years and then you have Top Gun Maverick, you know, or you do it right away. But there's something about that sort of eight to 10 years after, I don't know, it could be great, but it, it, it feels like, I don't know, it's case by case, you know, there are no hard, hard and fast. Yeah. I mean, I think the entertainment industry especially with all the the internal what's made and what's not and what's canceled and what's it's yeah i do not envy yeah. your position of <laughs> we just try to make good things, making you know, things. Like, okay what's next you know <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, on that, so you've been in London for what, two, two years now? I mean, honestly, years? I've been here almost four years now. I mean, the lockdown we spent in LA kind of by accident. Thank goodness we did though. Cause you know, our house is nice and comfortable there. And you know, the place we were moving right. into, we would have been in was like half finished. So we would have been living in a construction site basically. Um, Jeez. yeah, but you know, cause I did last Christmas here and yep. then them have done this movie, even though we shot this new one, the school for good and evil in Belfast, but we prepped and then we did all the post-production out of London. And um, I just love working in London. It's great. Yeah. What, what's been, you know, so I, I recently read um, Robert Caro's How I Oh, work, yeah, yeah. And I've been super fascinated with how people work and how people approach their yeah. work. And so you've, you've been in London for, you know, a, f- a few years now. What what has been like, what's been your typical day? Because you have this, you have your your gin yeah. empire, <laughs> Arting yeah, Cells gin true. empire. I mean, so like, <laughs> how, how has, what's a day in the life of Paul Feig been like? Um, I mean, it's been so production based that that you know my my general workday, which is you know 
least six days a week. Um, well, in prep, it was just coming into the you know, office, you know, about nine or nine thirty, working all day. You know, in prep, you're dealing with the art departments and just everything, all the departments, and kind of getting everything ready because it's like you know, assembling an army, and you know, especially when you're doing something this big, you're building so many giant sets and you're creating. Mm-hmm. animatronic characters and, and giant props and all this sort of thing. So that, and then, you know, when I'm in production, that's just, you know, that's your whole day, really. But I do French hours, this thing called French hours when I shoot, which means we do a 10-hour day uh, with no lunch. Uh, but then you pull the plug at the end of the 10 hours. There's no overtime or anything like that, which it's gotten, French hours has become a very dirty word in uh, Hollywood because a lot of productions started doing it, but then they didn't they didn't stick to the rules. So they would just do end up doing like a 15 hour day where nobody had lunch, you know? Yeah. Oh, so geez. it's like, if you're going to do it, you got to be responsible. You have to say like, folks, I know it's going to be hard. We're going to have food passing around the whole time. So you can go off to the side and have a sandwich or whatever. By the end of 10 hours, we'll go home. You can spend time with your families. You get a full night's sleep. You won't crash your car because you're exhausted on the way home and we'll come in and do it all again tomorrow. So I stick to it very religiously and have done every movie since, uh, since spy, uh, on French hours. Um, and just, you know, it's just a great way to work because you just get more done without a lunch break because a lunch break becomes this sort of dip in the day and it's hard to get people back up to speed after that myself included um and this you just power through you're fresh the whole time and then when you're going like i'm getting tired and you go like and we're done (laughs) so so that's my day and you know but then but then by doing that it allows me to i can go home and make dinner if i want or go and have a nice dinner and go home have a cocktail or have the crew over and make make you know make dinner for them because you know we were shooting this movie um, during the lockdown. And so I was in Belfast and this really nice apartment had this giant kitchen. And so I had people over and like roast a chicken or make, you know, dish of something. And we just, you know, have cocktails and wine and, and eat and talk about the day and the next day and, you know, go home and start it all again. So that's really fun. And then post-production now is just, you know, we do it out of Soho. So, you know, I come in at nine 30 in the morning, which is sometimes a walk. Cause it's like a 45 minute walk from my house. Um, right. And we're here all day. And then, but what's so civilized is you're in the heart of Soho. I mean, there's a gazillion great restaurants around. So, you know, work all morning. It's like my editor and I, like Brent, like, where, where should we go to lunch? Oh, let's go here. You know, go have a nice hour long lunch and come back and, you know, do the rest of our work until, you know, seven or or eight at night and uh, go home and have a nice dinner with my wife and cocktail and <laughs> it all starts again so it's very you know it really falls into a pattern but it's a very lovely pattern i've got no problem with it and you get a you have a movie on the <laughs> on the other end of it yeah yeah i mean that especially i think the one thing that stood out to me the most is i have a lot of friends that have worked in films and tv shows and movies and having the crew over generally there there's an, an unfortunate divide at, at times between director and the underlings right. and i think it's great that like you were just no, it's like it sounds like you're you're hanging out. You guys, we try. I mean, you can't have everybody over, obviously, because there's hundreds of hundreds of people. Sure. <laughs> oh, I got so many chickens. <laughs> um, but yeah, we get like our main people, you know, comes because we're you know kind of we're you know, all all the info kind of trickles down from us. But no, it's fun. I don't I don't like right. to stay you know separate from everybody. Um, you know, that's that's your team. It, it's fun. I mean, those are you know every time you do a movie, you have a new family. You know, and and what's nice is Mm. as time goes along, there are certain family members you bring along each time, like, you know, your cinematographer, your editor, your costume designer. You know, once you find people you like, you really hate to let them, you know, to not have them with you. But sometimes the timing doesn't work out and they have to take another job. And that's always sad when you go into battle with, you know, missing one of your trusted generals. If I may use a military (laughs) uh, equivalent. Hey, no, I appreciate it. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, and like, what have you done to kind of like unwind? Because I know you've gotten some time off a little bit here and there, but like, is the wardrobe changing? Or <laughs> you got new suits in the works? Oh, well, there's always new suits in the works. But I mean, honestly, I am kind of feeding off of the suits I've, you know, been had made over the last 20 years, I got to say. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, well, I think even this weekend, I was just looking at the closet going like, oh, I don't want it. I'm bored of these, but I don't know. They're also nice, you know, so they're bespoke, so they fit. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you know, what you got to do like I, so I had this happen and I have, a, you know, a bunch of bespoke stuff that is not, it doesn't fit as good. Yeah. Like I've been trying to hit the gym more. And so I've gotten like bigger here, or smaller mm-hmm. here or whatever. And, um, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to start over. And I like more or less have axed, I'd say 90% of really? my wardrobe. And yeah. And I, a part of me has been a little bit frustrated at times because I realized that I'm, I maybe I'm at an age now where I'm more comfortable with my, my style. Yeah. Like, like I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to ax most of this, but I just realized <laughs> that I ordered a Navy suit, a gray suit yeah. and two Navy <laughs> you know jackets like that's exactly what's in the pile (laughs) um so like have you had that urge to just like start over i know a lot of people after covid they they weren't wearing the same thing every day and they were just like i'm I'm starting over yeah i mean i wanted to that but the problem is all you know the suits are you know amassed over the years they're they're expensive these you know bespoke suits and they're kind of made to last that's what i love about bespoke suits they're never in style they're never out of style they're just you know it's your style or the house style but the house style is something usually you um, you know, relate to. And so you just kind of have them do it. Right. So it's hard. I mean, what, every time I want to, what it is, all I do is kind of add to it, but then I don't, it's, it's just really hard to ax one of your beautiful bespoke suits, you know, especially I'm like you, I try to buy mostly very neutral, you know, kind of, I mean, look, I'm wearing yeah. like a brown pinstripe, which is one of the more standoutish. Thank you. But you know, but it's, there's certain suits you can wear every day with different tie and pocket square and people go like, Oh, is that a new suit? And you know, because they just can't tell. But when you've got like a very, distinct pattern it's like you know he's wearing that suit again you know so that's why even though i like (laughs) really garish and loud suits i'm kind of like okay then i can only wear them like once every month or whatever so i guess i would wear them and nobody really cares but i care yeah (laughs) i hear you like it's been you know because i at least around you there's been a ton of new sort of um like tailoring companies or london companies that have kind of popped up that are like leaning into this sort of a little bit more casual aesthetic you know like there's anglo-italian you know um which is it's got all the the soft shoulder stuff like have you waded into those waters at all um well i mean look i i wear a lot of isaia which is very neapolitan yeah do a lot of like made to measure through them and i love that i mean that's okay but i still consider that to be you know, for, for most of this world, it's fairly formal, not the right word, but, you know, pretty dressy. Um, so, yeah, yeah, so I don't mind that kind of thing. Um, but, I'm, you know, it comes to like athleisure and, you know, that super casual thing. I just oh, can't do no. it. I just it just look shitty in it, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, like I yeah, I've I've axed the majority of the, the sweatpants yeah, exactly. and stuff. It's yeah, it's it's been tough to see some of the the brands that like I love, which I won't like try to call out on here. Like you've yeah. seen. Some of these brands that were always very mm, yeah. formal and they've gotten really yeah. casual. No, I, I'm with you. And they're just like, oh, well, COVID. And you're like, well, how many different workwear jackets are we going to yeah. make here? Like, wh- bring back. Well, the- yeah, don't give in. <laughs> Why are you giving in? Because you give. they're giving in right at the moment when I think a lot of people are like, go like, oh, I'm tired of wearing that stuff. Maybe I'll step it up again. You know? Right. So, yeah. So why? You know, it's like my, my business, you know, when when like a movie's been popular, you know, a genre's popular. So they're like, let's do one of those. It's like, well, yeah, by the time it comes out, that genre is not going to be popular anymore. So you're just 
just literally chasing, you know, behind, <laughs> chasing them behind the, you know, the elephant that they're cleaning up uh, after the, in the circus parade. I, just, I, I, I almost want yeah. to bail on that, uh, that simile or what is it? Metaphor, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then how's the gin empire been? Because I saw that like you're, you're at Duke's now. Yeah. So like you've, you've kind of, you've reached Nirvana. Like what, where? I've, where else do I've you cracked go? the top ones. I know. I mean, you know, when you got Alessandro Palazzi liking your gin so much that yeah. he literally posts about it, I'm just, yeah, I'll just check out, you know. Um, no, and now it's just, you know, trying to get it out so that everybody can get it. Um, and we just closed the deal with a new distributor here in the UK, which we're very excited about. So that means we'll be able to get into more stores and more bars and more restaurants because everything I'm in right now has been just me going to the place and going like, you know, hey, would you carry this? You know, so I'm carpet bagging quite a bit <laughs> with my gin. <laughs> um, which I don't mind, you know, and in the U S we're, we're in a lot of, we're getting into a lot of places now because we're with a big distributor there. Who's kind of giving us a trial. So we're out in, in certain States like Florida and Texas and, uh, coming into California very soon. Um, so it's great. So the word's getting out, you know, it's just, it's a slow burn to start a, to start anything in the alcohol business because the regulations and there's just so many hurdles you have to go through just to just legally get, get it cleared and get it through the FDA and on all that kind of thing. And then just the FDA. Oh yeah, totally. Oh, they have, they have to approve every word on your label, um, front and back. So like we had one thing that I wrote, like on the back of the thing, I wrote this dumb poem. It's like, you know, cause the, the, the joke is Paul Feig makes a uh, maker of good movies, great gin or uh, good movies, bad poetry and great gin. Um, and yeah. so I wrote this dumb poem, but one of the lines was called it an elixir. And we were told we could not call it an elixir Ooh. because yes, it has uh, medical pro uh, medicinal qualities that we, you know, you can't say the gin has, even though I personally feel that it does, but that's, that's just me, <laughs> the drunk guy. <laughs> talking oh my god yeah that's crazy like has there been any big like wake-up calls or like surprises of like getting into that industry because obviously it's totally different than films and just how slow it is just you know literally like oh we're coming out wait well, oh we got to wait for this license okay half a year later do we get that license yeah oh it's coming next week okay half a year later is it in yet oh it's coming next you know it's like oh my god so you know and i'm in my the company i'm working with is great there's a minhas distilleries who are out of um yeah calgary who are awesome it, it you know this is brother and sister ravinder and manjeet minhas and they're fantastic and they you know huge they have a huge business i mean you know they i think they're the seventh largest brewers and distributors of beer in north america you know but they make a lot Jeez. of like like um affordable beers you know and but they make like right. the rum for trader joe's and they make all these well spirits but i was the first uh team up they did to make a premium spirit um you know because it was right. something i've been wanting to do for years and they you know they turned down a lot of like people in the business who wanted to do it, but they liked the lifestyle that I sort of represented and saw how, how deadly serious I was about gin. And so it happened, but yeah. you know, but, but it's, yeah, but it's just, you know, it's, so they know how to get through all the bureaucracy and it's still taken us, you know, five years to, you know, to get even to where we are. And now we've got, you know, so much further. Are you preparing for your Casamigos moment? <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be nice? Um, you know, it's funny though. I think, I think so many people are getting in, you know, trying it just to, so they can get to that moment. But I think, you know, again, it's like making a movie saying like, oh, we're going to win an Oscar. You know, it's like if you're chasing that, you know, just give up. You know, I just I have such a passion for gin and the yeah. what gin represents as an adult lifestyle that that's the goal for me. The joy for me would just to be to see my gin in places, you know, on people's bar carts, you know, or in really nice right. bars that I like or in nice restaurants. That would be exciting just to go like, oh, OK, yeah. That's mine. Well, then it sounds like the goal's already achieved yeah. then, being at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, if, if I had to pick Val. Valhalla, it would be Dukes. 
So, you know, yeah. so now you just want to kind of go, but we're at like Claridge's, you know, you can get us at Claridge's and like the Fumar room, Fumar bar, which is another amazing bar. And uh, I think we're probably going, going into the Connaught soon and stuff like that. So, oh so yeah, God. so I, I, I pick and choose, the, you know, the fancy. And how, how has the London scene been for you in terms of uh, your, your culinary experiences? <laughs> where like in your typical day, like where have you guys been going to eat or like? Well, we're always in Soho uh, during the, during the day. So there's so many great places in Soho. I mean, between the Indian food and the Thai food and great French food, there's you know, right next to our cutting room, there's a place called Blanchette that is just this amazing French bistro and they're really nice in there. They serve my gin there too. <laughs> there you go. Uh, hey, look I, at I, this. I'm always selling, man. Add it to the I'm stack. always selling. Come on. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know, so there's so kind of that we get the, the sort of the funky, um, you know, Soho scene for for dinner for 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 lunch. But the dinner is, you know, kind of everywhere, really. I mean, we love, you know, there's a great place called Giovanni's of Covent Garden. There's an amazing Italian restaurant that I love. We go there so much that they named. I I have my own dish. There's a, a, a chicken a la Paul Feig that they have, which is. Holy cow. Uh, yeah, cause, cause they always had this. It was like a chicken breast in butter sauce. And I would always order, but go like, can you make it with olive oil instead of the butter sauce? And I did it so much that they said like, we're just going to change it to that and call it, name it after you. So I was like, oh, that's nice. So go on in and try the, uh, pollo or po- I'm not sure how you, how you say chicken in Italian, but, um, the chicken olive oil. Thing. Um, oh my yeah. God. So there All you right. go. But there's other, I mean, just, there's so many good restaurants in London. It's, it's such a culinary town that it's, uh, you know, we're, we we kind of go everywhere, but we, you know, we definitely got our Yeah. Own what, what are the, the like favorite places for you? You're, you're on, you're on a trip, you're on a supersonic mm. plane and you're getting lunch in one place. Uh, you're getting breakfast, lunch, and dinner in three different places. Oh, okay. Oh, that's a good one. Um, let's see. I'll, I'll have breakfast at the Claridge's uh, Hotel because that room is beautiful. Okay. What's your breakfast? Um, there, they do actually a really good um, like crushed avocado on toast. So avocado toast, as we know. Oh. But they'll put they'll do this um, like uh, uh, brock long stem broccoli with with chili flakes, and so you have that that on the side, and it feel kind of healthy. Okay. I have an gluten free toast, and that feels really good. But they, you know, nice, nice, nice. Or grapefruit juice and a lovely coffee. So yeah, I would do that. Then uh then I would hop aboard the Eurostar and um and go to Paris uh to have lunch at Chez Lumi Louis, um, which is a yeah, oh, amazing yeah. old bistro there that they make the world's greatest roast chicken. Um, but everything, I mean, from, you know, giant slices of foie gras and this bread that they, you know, char in a wood burning oven and then giant, um, escargot and frog's legs. If you're into that kind of thing, these frog legs Provencal, which are wonderful, um, no offense to any frog fans out there. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, then they have the beautiful leaf salad, green leaf salad, and, and um, these French fries that are cooked in duck fat. And, you know, they're like potato straws almost. like, And it's just, you know, you get a big bottle of wine and you sit there for three or four hours and just to eat yourself to death. Um, so that would be my lunch. And then if I wasn't dead at that point. Um, yeah. Still, still alive, alive, then I would get on a plane and fly to Los Angeles and uh, get takeout because the they don't longer have a restaurant anymore. Um, but uh, the Gardens of Taxco, Gardens of Taxco, uh, which was an institution in um, L.A. for years and years and years. And it was right off of uh, Santa Monica um, on Harper, uh, for any of you L.A. fans. Um, and it, they were famous. They, it was an old school Mexican restaurant, but um, they had no menus. So the whole thing was like uh, the server would come and go, we have no written menus. And then they would do this monologue 
about the the menu and it was they had the same jokes every time and my wife and I went at least once a week probably twice a week for 20 years and just laughed at the same joke every time uh, one of it was a uh, chicken a la crema the chicken is so tasty it it seems as if the chicken was born in the sauce um, but they would drag oh, up born you know really and we like ah we love that and then um, oh and then the other one's for the chicken mole the chicken mole uh, very comes in a something spicy sauce not hot spicy and that was the joke they would tell Paul and we would laugh every time every we just it delighted the hell out of me uh and I'd go there and I would they have so have uh, they they claim to have invented the quesadilla I cannot confirm or deny that um so you get that as a starter um and then you would get this little like small enchilada with cream sauce on top and then whatever you would order it could be the chicken mole i my personal favorite dish in the world is the this garlic shrimp that they make that is just oh my amazing God. yeah and it comes with you know i get with a side of like vegetables that they make and stuff like that and then you get these they had these um margaritas that were wine-based margaritas and they were just spectacular they were so tasty and just kind of just tart enough and just a little bit of sweetness but absolutely wonderful and then they'd end with this like um you know kind of whipped not whipped cream but like a custard kind of a mexican custard with bananas in it and then they'd come around with the free pour you free sherry shots of sherry and you would have those so that was amazing and i'm building all this up but the restaurant is no longer there but what they do yes they they close because their rent got so high that they just kind of you know is is all terrible all best things in the world get killed by terrible stuff like that but what they did is they moved to another location where they only do takeout but you can go there and you can get the dishes it's not laid out the way it was but you know they know you can't get i think i actually think they might do the margaritas for for carry out now but um you know you have to drink them fast because they melt quick (laughs) melt quickly but you can still get the food and so i i will drive over the hill and drive half hour back to Burbank as fast as I can so it's still hot and, and have it but um that's the meal that's my perfect perfect you, day. I mean with with the knowledge of of all the the food and culinary experiences here have you ever seen yourself like making something really specifically in that that I've world? tried I mean I, I was there was a Ruth Reichel book that I was gonna make into a movie at one point and try to develop it and then kind of we had a hard time with it and I love Ruth um but I just kind of it just didn't it didn't I don't know we, we couldn't make it work for some reason uh so I don't know mm-hmm. it, it's hard I mean I I would like to have food elements in a movie I always feel I I love watching yeah, movies. Did you see the bear? No, I, everybody says it's great. So yeah, I got yeah. I got to watch that. Um, you know, and I'm really close friends with Stanley Tucci, who's you know obviously turned that whole thing from Big Night on to his you know now to his, his CNN show. But you know, to get to have dinner at Stanley's house when he makes it for you is you know one of the greatest experiences ever because he's such an amazing cook and his wife. Felicity is an amazing cook too. She makes the best gnocchi I've ever had in my life. They are little like little pillows of air in his saw. Oh my God. I mean, yeah, forget about it. I'm, just- I'm glad to hear that you're friends with, with Tucci because uh, I know that there was like a massive uproar over his Negroni <laughs> and you're like a Negroni yes, stand. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> no, I know. Well, we, yeah, but here I will defend Stanley because from the lips of Alessandro Palazzi, the, the king of all things cocktail, because oh, I have yeah. a bottle. We do also through my company, we do a, uh, yeah, the, the bottle Negroni. Negroni. Yeah. It. Yeah, exactly. So I did a video with with, with um, Alessandro for it, and we were talking about ways to serve it. And so he, you know, we did the standard on, on ice, but then he added a, you uh, did a lemon, a, an orange twist, but like you know, uh, express the oil over the top, which just opened it up really nice. 
But then he said the traditional way to do Negroni, actually, it started as a as a drink that you know a a cocktail that was you know shaken and then poured out not on ice. And so he said, according to Alessandro, that's the traditional way to to do a Negroni. Wow. So Stanley was not wrong. So uh, all you cocktail snobs out there, I'd, uh, if you want to take on Alessandro, good luck to you. Yeah, bar fight. <laughs> That's nothing better than a, a Negroni fight. <laughs> Look how yeah, yeah. The, the shakers, the shakers oh are. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's incredible. I mean, yeah, the 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 food stuff. I feel like there's still it's it's all I want to watch now. <laughs> like especially after watching, um, you know, like I watch 101 Places with like with Gaberson mm-hmm. Pally, which is kind of like this comedy um travel right. show that's that's less on the food and the experience, but more on like you know. And I feel like that's something now. Like I just want to see people I like doing things that I sound stupid to say, but like that like normal no. people do. Like I'd watch a show with you where. It's like, hey, I'm going to these restaurants and you eat yeah. at the restaurants. Like, yeah. that's it. Oh, no, you totally. Know? It would be I mean, I, one of the most fun things I ever got to do was back when uh, Esquire had a, had their own channel for, you know, briefly. They did a show ugh, called, I forget what the name of it, but um, oh, oh the getaway. It was show called The Getaway. Esquire. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. they would have every week a different, you know, <laughs> quote unquote celebrity because I was one of them. So I'm not, I'm not a celebrity, but I'm, you know, but, <laughs> but they basically, I, they said, you know, pick a city. And I was, of course, all the cities I picked, somebody had already picked, you know, like Paris, like London, all this stuff. But then I had just finished um, the heat, uh, doing the heat in Boston. So I was like, "Can I do Boston?" They're like, "Sure." So I went out with actually, it's it was um, it's Anthony Bourdain's company, Zero Point Zero. They they did it. Yeah. So I went out with their crews, who made it so easy. So literally, just here's the places I want to do, and here's stuff, and you know. So they go, "Okay, show up here, and sit down here, have these oysters, and talk to the camera," <laughs> you know. And it was just the greatest experience because you show up, have the fun of doing the thing, and then they go, "Okay, you know, take off, and we'll meet, you know we'll see you in an hour at the next." place um you know and it was fantastic and i could i could happily do that for a career <laughs> you know on, on on the food front there's actually i'll give a shout out to a, a a podcast i listen to all the time here in london called off menu which is by these two british comedians ed gamble and uh, james Alcaster. and um the, the whole concept of the show is very simple they're two very funny guys but they have what they call the dream restaurant. Basically, you go on and there's one of them, James plays a genie and is basically you can have whatever you want for what is your dream starter, main course, side dish, dessert, oh my God. beverage. And it's the most fun show to listen to. I listen to it just constantly on my walks in the morning and it's just funny and fun. But it's so fun to hear what people's favorite foods are and what they would have if they were in some place that they could magically have whatever they wanted. Um, you know, much like, well, you asked me what my perfect day out. So yeah, sorry. I think that, you, that was maybe they stole it from you. That. Maybe they are time travelers who came into the future and heard this and went back. Yeah. Who but, knows? Uh, but you know, again, it just, it, you know, nothing's more fun than kind of talking about stuff we like to eat and drink. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, have you uh, in terms of, of uh, like your travel? Like, are you when when are you uh, when are you back in the in the states? Like, do you see yourself moving back here for well, a while? Or are you? I mean, my wife forever? has declared she's never going back. So, and now the dog is here. So, you know, we're, it's getting a little oh, intractable, yeah. if you will. But look, my company's back in L.A., so I, I'm gonna I'll go back yep. and forth, and we have our place in New York, which I love. So I'll I'll be all over the place. She's gonna base out of here mostly, but you know, travel. Yeah, I never know know where my next movie's gonna shoot. So I could end up in Italy. I could end up in Boston. I could end up in the North Pole. Like I, I have no idea. Um, but I'll, you know, I'll be back in LA uh, in, in September because, uh, or October, I should say, because the, the my movie's coming out in October uh, on October nineteenth. Right. right. Um, so we'll do a lot of press, and we have our big LA premiere uh, there on the I think the eighteenth. And um, 
And then I have my cocktail books coming out in November, so I'll be doing a big press tour for that. Too. Wait, wait, wait. The cocktail book? Yeah. Hold on. I, I didn't know this. Yes. I have a cocktail book coming out. Cocktail Time, it's called. The uh, the Ultimate Guide to Grown-Up Fun uh, by Paul Feig. <laughs> wait, wait. So how, how did this come about? I mean, is this based off of like the, the yeah. you know, hundreds of well, cocktail Well, it started, yeah, because of cocktail time. Everybody was kind of like, can you write down the recipes and, you know, and all this stuff? So during the pandemic, I was just like, I'll, I'll just start writing out the recipes. And then as I started writing it, I was like, you know what? I should get advice on this and like, you know, how to stock your bar and what to get, what you don't need, you know, and, and how, what's the sort of the most low cost way to do it. And then it's like, well, you know, well, people are going to want to throw cocktail parties when the pandemic's over. And like, you know, I have a lot of opinions on how to do throw a great party. Party and all that stuff. There was a whole big section about how to throw a cocktail party, the, you know, the fun way, and and then all the drink recipes. But then in the drink recipes, it was like, oh, I've got kind of a personal story or a dumb story to tell with each one of these drinks. And so it just just kept expanding and expanding. And then uh, William Morrow, uh, you know, publishing house said they wanted to do it. And so I've spent the last couple of years doing it, doing a lot of drawings for it, and doing a lot of photography for it, and have my picture taken. Wait, yeah, drawings, I original photography. Exactly. I didn't. I didn't wait, do the photography. Did, I'm in the photos, but I did the drawings. I, I drew the drawings. Wait, wait, I didn't. Did you have an illustration background? Yeah, I was a cartoonist uh, in college. Um, I, I had a regular <laughs> uh, one panel um, cartoon every day in the uh, Daily Trojan at USC, uh, possibly one of the most hated comic strips <laughs> ever in the world of cartooning. But I did it every day. And I loved it, but it was filled with stupid puns and really dumb stuff. And, uh, but, but, you know, sure. I, I worked for free. So what are they? So you were making memes like pre meme. Yeah. Well, culture. yeah. I mean, oh boy, I was, <laughs> I was the lowest rent Gary Larson you'll ever see. Like, you know, the far side was brilliant. And then there was, you know, yeah, comedy guy. Paul Feig's oatmeal. That was what it was called. <laughs> daily, daily thing called oatmeal. Um, one week, the, the week that probably made people hate me the most, I did a one week salute to corn. Uh, and like at one point, I <laughs> wrote a really stupid poem and said it was by William Carlos Williams. And all these people were like, did he really write that? It's like, no. And they'd like, why'd you put that on? Is that supposed to be funny that you're just saying you invented a William Carlos Williams thing about corn? I was like, yeah, I think it's funny. But nobody else did. So there you go. But but I did oh it for two God. years every day. I got to find these. Like I've, I've gotten really into oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten like really into old comics where like the other day I was reading like Andy Cap. Oh God. Yeah. Like I mean there look and I, and I will say for the record there are things in there that yeah. are not are not okay to joke <laughs> about now in terms of misogyny and alcoholism right. but there's a few things in there that I'm like oh this is this is oh, hilarious. No, totally. Like, like that, and like the Lockhorns and all the all that stuff we grew up with. You know, I, I'm older than you, but I mean, it was like, you know, all the every, all the jokes were mother-in-law jokes and the coming home late and the you know the yeah. guy who has the lines on his nose, so you know he's been drinking and you know it's like wow, this is that's the world I grew up in. So you wonder why I'm into cocktails now. Oh my god, that's 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 amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm 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 more flabbergasted by by uh, by the illustration well, background because I feel like even after the many times I've talked with you, I don't feel like that's ever popped. No, up. I don't. I yeah. don't. I don't lead with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we're here to talk about a film. Uh, okay. Well, let me talk to you about my early days illustrating. Uh, you know, I'm putting comics. out a collection, <laughs> a coffee table book of my greatest terrible comic strips. Yeah, mm. you you've done like so many different things. Like, do you ever see that, like, the importance of doing those things help sharpen you at storytelling oh, yeah. or, like, movie making? Nothing goes to waste. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I always say whenever I lecture to film students or, 
young people, young people, yeah. you know, uh, said like an old man, um, <laughs> is like just anything you're interested in, do it and get to know it and get good at it because you'll use it all. I mean, especially if you're going into film to be a director. I mean, what don't I use of all even the stupidest stuff I learned juggling and <laughs> tap dancing? All you know, it's all just skills that you know and you can kind of bring whatever you know, you've learned something about physicality and bring that into this, or like, you know, there's something funny from that world that you can bring in. You know, it's, there's, you get no, you do not get penalized for knowing too much. Um, you get penalized sometimes for thinking too much, I, I will say, you know, because you can think yourself out of doing anything if you, you really consider it too much. And I, you know, I'm very, have a, I have way too much foresight, uh, sadly, because I'm always like, okay, this, this can happen. But everything I've ever done has been, even though everything tells me not to do it, I'm like, you know what, let's just do it and just dive in if, if you have a passion for it, you know, because I've gotten burned other times where you go like, oh, okay, I'll do it. Knowing in the back of my head, like, I don't know if I want to do this this and it always ends up being something I bail out of or, you know, go like, I shouldn't have done it and I can't. So I got to get out of this because I can't spend a year of my life doing something that. Yeah. I mean, that's as an aside, like I I definitely take a lot of that to heart because like even now where it's like, man, I've been making this pod for, you know, for six, seven years now. I'm like, do I do, I can't, I can't be doing this when I'm like 50. You see me like Mark Maron, like yelling at the wall. Like, I I don't know. I mean, come on, man. Never say never. <laughs> you do whatever you want. It's part of your yeah, effort. Th- there we go. Don't give there something we up if it's working. Well, That's all I say. Just just make room for it with the other stuff you're doing, yeah, which is why I've gone Very back true. to cartoon. <laughs> I'm quitting. I'm quitting <laughs> making movies, and I'm going to go full time in the cartoon. The, the full circle here. We are back to yes. illustration. It's you sitting with a cup of coffee and yes. uh, you know hand drawn. Nothing will table. keep me eating at uh, <laughs> Shayla Me Louis more than uh, being a cartoonist full time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I I used to work in the music industry, and we went out to lunch once. Uh, we were doing this project called Monkey Journey to the West, and it was Damon Alburn um, and Jamie Hewlett, which are they made gorillas together. So Jamie Hewlett's the cartoonist, and we were we were at lunch, and he Jamie Hewlett was doodling on a oh, napkin, wow. and I was like, oh my god, this is amazing, you know. And uh, we left, and um, we I was like, oh my god, I was like that napkin, I should grab that yeah. napkin just because I mean it just totally. looks really cool and it's amazing art. And, uh, I walk out and like, I see, I get ready to turn around. I see Jamie turn around and come back in. He's like, I need to get my <laughs> napkin. He's like, I don't want it to like go on eBay or anything. And he lost it. And obviously like that well, somebody, grab it. I imagine it was, no, I wasn't able to grab it. Plus I was like, yeah, we're kind of working together. I feel like it'd be <laughs> awkward. You know, I wanted to ask his permission, <laughs> but like he, yeah, it was, it was gone. And so nowadays I still wonder like, you know, but it was like this beautiful, yeah. you know, little sketch of like people, like he drew us eating, oh you know, and it was like very, you know, elongated features and all sorts of yeah. goofy stuff but like i still love you know hand-drawn oh. illustration more more than it's a great that's my favorite thing yeah. to collect are like paintings you know it just because it's, it's the only one that exists you know i, I collect I've got nine paintings now, I think, from uh, Danny Galliotti, who's uh, an amazing artist who used to be a Disney um, animator. And now he, you know, makes his money full time painting and um, just beautiful stuff, but really whimsical stuff to actually the logo for my company is one of his paintings. The first painting I bought from him, which if you see one of my productions, there's a. The picture of this, you know, a woman yeah. in a dress with these gar- garden the shoes yeah, behind her back. That's one of Danny's uh, paintings. And um, we actually did a little animation on it for the opening of my movies. And uh, yeah, but I, you know, so, I, but everything he does is fun, but you go like, but that's a one-off. Like there's only one of those that exists. And there's right? just something so fascinating about owning that. And, you know, it's in your house and you, 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 you feel bad. You feel like the rich guy, like sitting on a, you know, the Mona Lisa or whatever, but you know, cause you want to share it with the world because art should be shared with the world. So, um, you know, hopefully Danny will have a, uh, you know, museum tour, and I'll happily uh, on loan from 
from Paul Feig. Yeah, exactly. yeah there you from go. The Feigs, exactly. Yeah, there you go. I just want to be a benefactor. That's well, goal. Yeah, there you go. Well, Paul, this was, I know you got a lot of stuff to do today, so no I want to thank you so much for your time. Oh, three, th- three time guests. Yes. Uh, much, much appreciated. Um, you're always incredibly generous with us, so that means a oh, lot. My pleasure. Um, my pleasure. All right, well, it was good. It was good talking to you. I'll talk okay, to you thanks. soon. Cheers. All right. Thanks again to Paul Feig for coming on the pod. His new film, School for Good and Evil, premieres October 19th on Netflix, and his upcoming book, Cocktail Time, comes out November 15th. Save the dates. Check them out. Thanks again for listening. Our episode was edited by Amar Lal, our music by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. If you want to dive deeper in the Blamoverse, come join us on patreon.com forward slash Blamo with our exclusive shows, extra episodes, and our amazing Slack community. Have a lovely week, everyone. Stay tuned for more new episodes right here, and I'll see you very soon.